Welcome to the Online Frogcast. I'm Carice Hendrick. And I'm Brett Johnson. And we're both anti-fraud experts. But with very different sets of experiences. I've been in the anti-fraud space for over a decade, working with some of the biggest online companies in the world to help them prevent payment fraud. And prior to several years ago, I was a fraudster. I committed several different types of fraud online until I ended up on the Secret Service's most wanted list, spent time in prison, and since that point I've dedicated my career to helping businesses and consumers protect themselves against the people like I used to be. And today we're going to talk about identity theft. This is a term pretty broadly used in the media and other contexts, but we're going to talk about the true definition. And it's timely because as of September 21st, which is actually the day we're recording the podcast, all U.S. consumers are able to do the one action that prevents identity theft for free. But before we get into that, Brett, why don't you take this one? The definition of identity theft. Time and again, we see that uh, someone's credit card is stolen or their bank login is stolen or something like that. And a lot of people tend to think that, well, that's identity theft. Well, the truth of the matter is that may have an element of identity theft to it. But when we talk about true identity theft, what we're talking about is the theft of personal information, PII. So your theft of your social security number, of your date of birth, that type of personal information that identifies you as a person. For example, let's walk through how that would actually work if you're, if you're committing crime. So a thief, he can go to the dark web and he can buy someone's credit card information. And that credit card information, I've said this before, that credit card information sells from anywhere from six to around $20, depending on the bin, which is the issuing bank of the card, the gender of the of the card owner, and the location of the card owner. So he's spending anywhere from six to $20 for that. For that, he gets someone's name, their address, their phone number, their email address, the card number, the expiration date on the card, and the three-digit security code on the back. So that's the information that he gets with that. Now, legally, what constitutes identity theft is the use of that card because it has the person's name attached to it. It is a personal identifier. But when we think of real identity theft, what we're talking about is that criminal would then take that credit card information and sometimes he would actually go and look up your personal information as well. So he would look up your social security number or your date of birth, both of those together. And the reason he does that is he needs to maximize the, the potential of that card. So if the card's got $15,000 of available credit on it, he needs to do what's called an ATO, an account takeover. To do the ATO, he needs your personal information. He needs your social. He needs your date of birth. He needs your address history, your phone number. He needs your background check, credit report, all these other things to answer security questions so he can take over your credit card and then maximize the available balance that's on the card. That's typically how these these thefts work. So what happens is when I talk about cybercrime, I talk most of the time I talk about there are three elements that are necessary for cybercrime to be successful. And those elements are gathering data, committing the crime, and then cashing out. When I talk about gathering data, a lot of that time I'm talking, that's personal, someone's personal information. It's getting someone's identity profile. That way you can go on to the second step and actually commit the crime that you need to commit, whether it's applying for loans, student loan fraud, social security account takeover, anything like that. That's, that's what we're talking about when we talk about identity theft, the, the, the theft of personal information. Well, and the impact of identity theft can be huge. We recently heard from one listener that not only had credit cards and bank accounts opened in her name, but also a driver's license. And the criminal actually committed murder. And the identity theft victim was the main suspect. They really took over her identity, like not just for the use of a financial crime, but to disguise their own identity. She had to spend days, if not weeks, with the FBI explaining it wasn't her and proving that her identity had been stolen. And it's been years since that crime, but she still has to prove that the crime happened and provide the crime report and explain the circumstances. Anytime she applies for a credit card, a loan, applies for a job, she applied for a home loan and had to go through a whole mess. It's Obviously a very extreme case. We definitely don't want anyone to think that if your identity is stolen that somebody's going to, you know, commit murder in your name. But the impact of that has just like impacted her life in a lot of ways. She said in, you know, sometimes if people google her name, they see that because that was the first name given to the press. Super scary. 
<laughs> well, I mean, and you, you said it yourself. I mean, that, that sure, that's an extreme example, but it's an it's an excellent example that that illustrates the point. And and when I when I used to commit crime, one of the things that I taught people immediately as soon as they wanted to be involved in cybercrime, my catchphrase was: "Is all crime should begin with identity theft." That was that was lesson number one out of the gate. And and nowadays I talk about that and I give the example of saying, well, okay, all crime should begin with identity theft. Why? Well, why would I set up a bank account under my name to launder funds when I can do it under your name? Especially oh. if you're local to me. That way if the cops show up, it's kind of like an early warning system. I know to move on at that point. Now, that that's that's very true, that statement. But it, it, it doesn't encapsulate everything like your example did, Carice. So So the thing is, is that... When you steal someone's identity, all right, it's not just one crook, one thief that's doing that. Hmm. Your, your identity is stolen time and time and time again by different thieves committing different types of crime. Say your identity is so ruined, your credit is so ruined that a thief no longer has any any use for your, your for your identity to actually apply for credit someplace. So what can he do? He can do exactly what you said put that information on a driver's license, go out and commit other types of crime. Why would he do that? Because, again, they're not going to come looking for him. They're going to come looking for that person whose information is on the fake ID that he printed off. That's the power of this cybercrime. That's the consequences of it. That's why this, these crimes are so are just so despicable. Well, and, you know, those databases that sell uh, Social Security numbers and all that information on the dark web – and, you know, you use them for presentation purposes just to demonstrate how easy it is and how many people are on there. Something I've learned from you, and it, it may sound so simple, but it was interesting to me because I always thought it was like, okay, if a bad guy buys a social security number, then it's like that's the only person that has it. Almost like it's a physical item. And once they give it away, then they don't do it again. Right. But what I've learned from you is they keep selling that over and over and over again. And so, yeah, once it's out, it's out. And um, it's terrifying and don't worry we'll get to the prevention piece <laughs> we, soon. we will we, we okay. will talk about that and, and, and the feed <laughs> right but i think the most important thing really to highlight is just that it's you know the impact of identity theft on victims is just so much worse than any other online fraud crime because once the crime is discovered and the victim obtains their credit report they have to contact each creditor to petition them to take it off their credit report and some companies don't make it easy to do so in a way it makes sense because if it were easy people could stop paying you know, their credit cards are paying off their credit cards and just claim identity theft. But it's a major hassle for victims to clean it up. And it doesn't happen quickly. And I know people who have been unable to get a home loan or a car when they needed or wanted one because they were waiting for their credit report to be cleaned up after being a victim of identity theft. And it wasn't their fault, but they spent hours on the phone trying to clean it up and, you know, letters and it's just, it is a mess. And so that's, you know, a big reason why we wanted to make sure that we talked about it. Absolutely. And, and understand, it's, 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 it's like Carice said. So your, your information is for sale. And one of the main sites, one of the, one of the better sites that criminals go to, to get your information, it's called RoboCheck, R-O-B-O-C-H-E-C-K dot C, Amazon Mary. So on that site, it lists the Social security numbers and dates of birth for 170 million Americans is what they advertise. All right. So for that, I can I can pay two dollars and ninety cents and pull your social security number, your date of birth, and it gives me your address history for free. Okay. Now, as Chris said, that it's not just one person that's stealing that that's buying that information. It's multiple criminals that do that. So the first person who buys it, he buys it for two dollars and ninety cents. After that initial purchase. It's then discounted at 50% off. So the next person that wants to buy it can buy it for $1.45. Now, the way criminals work is, as you become a better criminal, you tend to specialize in a specific type of crime. So you're buying that information only to commit tax fraud or synthetic fraud or social security account takeover or student loan fraud or credit card fraud or new account fraud, something like that. That specific type of crime, just one of those. So the, the initial criminal only uses it for that one type of crime. He gets through... He discards it, but that information, your information, is still valuable to the next criminal who, co who comes along to commit another type of crime. And it keeps going and going and going. It never, it never ends. And, well, and I mean, until the, you know, until the victim freezes their credit report or, you know, puts a stop to it. Absolutely. Um, you know, for sure. But if you're not doing anything, then, yeah, they'll just they'll just continue. I'd imagine it takes more time on their end to, you know, say, like 
to steal an actual person's identity and set up credit cards in their name and do all those things, you know, but, you know, more than stealing hundreds of credit cards. But what's the incentive for criminals to commit full identity theft? And what's the process? I mean, you kind of talked about a little bit about the process, but kind of, you know. So, so the process. So you can, there, there are a few ways that you can do this. If you're a criminal, you can go to a dark dark web marketplace, one of these criminal websites, and you can buy people's full identities. And when I say a full identity, that means the person's name, social, date of birth, address, mother's maiden name, driver's license, background check, credit report, and any social media lookups that might be pertinent, like, for example, LinkedIn or something like that. All right, so you can buy all of that for a low of $40, and the typical high is about $130. And what, what determines the price is the credit score, the location of the person, and the gender of the person. So those three things, gender, location, credit score, determines that price. Now, if you don't want to buy it, a lot of criminals pull their own complete identity profiles at that point. Now, one of the easier ways to do that is you go to this RoboCheck site that I mentioned. You buy someone's social, their date of birth. Then you go to these legal, and they're legal, these people search sites, these background check companies, and you pay the you know, $18 to $20 a month. For $18 a month, you're able to pull unlimited background checks on any person that you want to pull it on. So you start pulling the background check not only on that victim, but every single associate of that victim in the hopes that you get the mother's maiden name. It's not really hard to find out who the mother's maiden name is on that. You just look at the, the parents, the, fe- the oldest female that's listed, then you pull background check on her, look for a brother, something like that, you got the name all of a sudden. It's done. Well, and people, I mean, we're going to be talking about social media fraud that happens on there, especially Facebook pretty soon in a couple episodes. But people who share a lot of information on Facebook and don't make it private, Facebook has a great feature where you can, you know, say who your mom is and link to her and all that. Absolutely. There you go. There's your mother's name. name. (laughs) There's the Um, So, so yeah, yeah, or you have it in your Facebook name, right? In yeah. parentheses, you have your your main name, and your mom has her main name. You know, <laughs> I it's not rocket science anymore. Like we're sharing that information publicly, and and criminals know that they know it's not difficult to get that information. So, so once you get that information, the 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 one of the most important things to pull is the credit report. In the United States, we have what's called KBA, Knowledge Based Authentication Questions, security questions. So if you have the background check, if you have these social media lookups, the chances of you being able to answer those security questions correctly in order to get the, the, the credit report, that's pretty high. The first site the criminal goes to to pull the credit report is annualcreditreport.com. It's the same site you're going to go to to pull your credit report. Now, why does he do that? annualcreditreport.com asks KBA questions, but there's not a time limit on those KBA questions. So he can sit there all day long with your background check, with Google, with social media, everything else, and try to find the correct answers to those KBA questions. Seriously? Like they don't have velocity <laughs> checks or time limits? Oh my nope. gosh. No time limit. Hmm. So so say he misses I mean, what that. about like how, if he, they miss it like three times? There you they... go. So, so say he okay. misses it on annual credit report. That's okay. Because then he can go over to some other back, uh, credit report company like Credit Karma or something like that. They ask the exact same KBA questions. The only difference, they have different answers except for the correct answer. So you can mix and match and 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 see see what the different answers are and determine. Oh gosh, right. So they give you multiple choice, like multiple choice. You know, is one of these your past addresses, or you know, which one of these is a former employer? Um, Like for some reason, the only employer on my credit report was like one of my very first jobs 20 years ago, Okay, which is fine with me because the less information (laughs) they have, the better. But like whenever I have a knowledge based question, it's like, which one of these is a former employer? And I'm like, well, it's certainly never going to be on my LinkedIn. It's certainly like nobody would know it. So (laughs) I'm glad that it's still, you know, but most people, that's not the case. (laughs) (laughs) No. So, so that's the ease of a criminal creating your identity profile, of getting all your identity information. All right, that's the ease of that. And understand Uh that the idea that people have that, okay, my information is not out there yet. There's something that I can do to make sure a criminal does not have access to my information. No, no, your information is out there. You've already been compromised. Last year alone, we had just reported, reported breaches were 1,500. Of those reported breaches, 2.6 billion records compromised. 
you've already got your information out there. Now the point is coming up, okay, if a criminal has my information, how do I make sure he or she can't use it? Right. Yeah. I mean, we talk about this all the time, but it really is. I mean, I don't think we can say it enough. It's not if, it's when. Right. It's not if you're going to be, you know, targeted or, you know, that your information is going to be out there. It's when it's going to be used. And I think that that change in mentality is really important. It has to. Um, it has to. Yeah. I mean, we, we have to get to that point where we accept that and then we figure out what to do now that that's a given. Right. Absolutely. I wanted to just circle back a little bit. A few minutes ago, you mentioned a website. Is that a website that you would recommend people going to to see if their information's on there? Is it safe? Like, it's, I, it is a I don't want to. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. yeah. So I just want to make sure that we like be very, very clear that, you know, there might be malware on there. Like there may very well be. What I advise people to do is if they're if they would be to search out criminal websites is to make sure they take the proper precautions. Use a VPN. I would even go so, so far as to surf from inside a VM box, something like that, that uh, that protects them in case there is malware on the system or something like that. That way it's contained within a VMware box. Okay. Yeah. But for the most part, I would say just don't. You yeah, know. stay away. <laughs> stay away, yeah. Even if that, you're curious, just, you know, stay away and just assume that you're on there. Yeah, here, uh, I'll, save you, I'll save you the trouble. You're on there. See, now you don't have to look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that, that might be true. Brett, have you heard of this website? And I'm so sorry, I'm, I'm trying to look it up now. I think I sent it to you the other day. Am I owned? Am I pwned? Yeah, 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 pwned, yeah. Um, so I, I spoke at a conference the other day and another speaker. Yeah. Have I been PWNED.com? Right. And other speakers suggested it and they work for a security company. So I assume, you know, it's decent enough and you can, it's not about your social security number or anything with identity theft, but you can find out if your email address has been part of a hack. I mean, just for example, my, one of my personal email address has been part of four breaches. According to this site, <laughs> they also see if it's on paste bin, which is interesting. Um, I wouldn't suggest checking your password on there. They have a feature that where you can check if your password's been entered. And I, that just kind of freaks me out a little bit, even if they are a very legitimate website. So I would just, you know, not use that feature, but you know, I don't think there's any harm in checking to see if you're um, email addresses, and maybe that will hit it home for you, right? Like, oh, wow, if my email address has been breached four times, I'm sure my social security number is out there too. And don't forget, I mean, we'll talk about this later, but even more in detail, but 148 million records from Equifax, which is more than enough to open credit cards in your name, get a car, anything like that, you know, get a cell phone, whatever the um, thieves decide to do. That is more than enough information to set up credit 148 million people had their records exposed last year because of Equifax. And again, we are, you know, we're based in the U.S., so we're talking about U.S. things, but I do think that it definitely impacts people in the U.K. and Europe as well. You guys are fortunate to have a little more privacy and security rules over there as well as, you know, just consumers' perspective on privacy is so much stronger in Europe. You know, most consumers are willing to do a couple extra steps if it means that they're more secure. But in the U.S., we trade privacy for convenience every single day. We do. But, you know, even with even with GDPR and those privacy protections, I mean, sometimes those protections are, are boons to criminals as well. Criminals have the right to be forgotten. Right. So right. we're not going to we're not going to hold all these criminals email that addresses. Was my for... very first question people started talking about GDPR was like, you know, so basically if I'm a criminal and I got put on your negative list, which means, you know, I'm not able to make purchases with you anymore. I can just write your company and say I have a right to be forgotten and please erase that. Then again, in France, they've always had this rule or and I might be I'm probably going to have somebody from France correct me, but I know that it's around this i it's this is what stuck out in my head was and this was a few years ago but that you actually have to ask the person's permission to put them on the negative list so hey mr fraudster can i please put you on my negative list i know you know there's got to be a balance somewhere between privacy and security from all aspects right so there has to be a balance of consumers who care more about privacy than convenience and there has to be a balance of governments who prioritize privacy, but not for the sake of cybercrime and, you know, letting 
fraudsters do whatever they want. Absolutely. So side tangent, but you know, still important. <laughs> it's a good tangent. It's it's <laughs> so, an important tangent. Yeah. So I mean, I'd imagine really what you were you know getting at is that it might take a little bit longer, but it's not hard, and it's more lucrative because why? steal a card that has a limit that I don't know if it's, you know, a $5, you know, there's only $5 available on it or 5,000 or, you know, 10,000 or no limit. Why do that when I can just open credit cards in that person's name and have the full amount? Absolutely. And, and, and understand finding out for many credit cards, finding out the limit on the credit card is not difficult. The only thing a fraudster has to do, he's got your phone number when he buys your information. He's got the phone number. He spoofs the phone number. He calls into customer service of the credit card spoofing your phone number. That means that the credit card system sees your phone number, the actual account phone number, calling in. It's an automated system. So it's automatically oh, verified right. as that person. Oh, gosh, that's true. What, yeah, if what, I call into my credit card company for any reason. Right. That's yeah, I didn't think about that. You put the last four numbers of the social or whatever whatever the the information is they request, then it gives you the available balance on the card automatically. Right. But so it still might it just be a little bit. Whereas if I open a credit card in your name, they you have Absolutely. decent credit. I can get ten thousand dollars. And and that that opening credit card stuff, and I, and I think you said that you guys have been hit with that earlier this year. But it's not difficult to do that. A criminal, he's got your personal information. Mm-hmm. He's got your credit report because it's easy enough to get that. He sees where you don't have accounts. And he starts filling out applications there. Now, he, there's a few things he can do. He can actually, if you live in a working class neighborhood where you're, where most people are gone during the day working, where your neighbors don't pay attention to each other, where the mailbox is right next to the street without a lock on it, where the, the <laughs> front porch is easily viewable from the road, everything else, that type of thing, that's a, that's a great address for a criminal to steal the mail from. So he's going to order those cards directly to the address. He's going to steal the mail out of the box or off the front porch at that point. And no one's going to notice it. Yeah, and you're right. That did happen to my husband last year, and they forwarded his mail, and it took us a while to notice because we were still getting junk mail. And, you know, we do a lot of auto bill pay stuff, so we didn't really notice lack of mail in his name for a while. And they then opened a few, like, private label cards, things like that from a few companies in his name and got all the mail sent to them so we had no idea we've since invested in a locking mailbox i'll exactly. have you know that's, especially that's, since that's, that's you know great with <laughs> consulting <laughs> with consulting i get checks and all that in the mail yeah. so yes we've that's uh, a great thing to have <laughs> it was a sound investment it wasn't that expensive and it'll pay for itself in no Absolutely. time and and you know <laughs> you you mentioned forwarding mail how hard is it for a criminal to get your mail forwarded to another address or to change your address <laughs> how it's easy is simple. it well, right. It was easy for me to do it when we moved. I mean, it's the exact yeah. same process. You can right. walk in, a criminal can walk into the postal service to a U.S. post office. He can get the change of address form, fill it out there, drop it in. It's done. Or if he's not comfortable enough, if, he th- if he's too paranoid to walk into the post office, that's okay. He can go down to Walmart, buy a prepaid debit card, register it in the victim's name, go to the postal service website, do the change of address or the mail forwarding right there. Right. And please know, like we know people, at least I do know, you know, a few people at the U.S. Postal Inspector's Office, and I know they're doing the best they can. Same with the banks and the companies that have private label cards. Like we know that they're doing the best they can. I really, truly believe that the best way for a lot of this crime to go down is for consumers to be smarter. I mean, I could not believe that after, you know, the breach of 148 million <laughs> consumer records with social security number, birth dates, et cetera, like all those things that you need for a credit card, like I said, after that breach, only 8% of those people impacted froze their credit. Absolutely. Guys, we're making it way too easy for the bad guys to steal our identities. And they are obviously good at it. But if everyone just does that, it, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit with our outline, but I just couldn't help it. Like it, you know, it's so important. So first step, I think before, you know, trying to prevent it is finding out if you've already been a victim of identity theft. And you already said the website and I know it's used by criminals, but it's also, you know, it's for good, good people website. too. Right. Well, you know, anyone in the U.S. is able to get copies of their credit reports from all three credit bureaus once a year for free from annualcreditreport.com. I don't recommend any of those other websites because they are paid. They're not actually free, even though all over the TV commercials they say they are. They're not. So annual credit reports, the only place you can get those free credit bureau, you know, reports. And also whenever you are a victim of identity theft 
or part of a breach, you usually can get another one as well if you've already pulled one this year. So, you know, look through those reports and make sure that your credit lines are ones that you've opened yourself. And if not, report those ones to the credit bureaus right away. And they do have resources and information on how to report those and what to do. Just know it, it will take time. And that's unfortunately a hazard of be of it happening. Do you have anything else to add, Brett, on just how to, you know, know if you're the victim of identity theft? You know, it's it's knowing you're a victim is is goes into a lot of the prevention as well. I mean, you you mm-hmm. have to pull those credit reports. You have to you have to monitor your accounts. I mean, you you have to do this stuff. And and we we as a people, we like to we like to say or, or think that, okay, the security company is going to take care of this or, or the bank will take care of it or, you know, anybody else, all these people. The, the truth of the matter is, is that you as a consumer have to take a, a, a proactive response to your own security. The bank is not always going to save you. The credit card company is not always going to save you. You have to be proactive in your security as well. You have to understand that it's you who are being victimized. Yes, your, your, your credit card company may cover the losses, but that's just the beginning beginning of it. All right. That's mm. just one. That's just one instance of what of a crime that happens because of identity theft. So there are other crimes that happen as well. And you have to be proactive in your in your response and your measures. Well, it's a violating feeling, right? Whether your Absolutely. credit card's stolen or your identity has been taken over, it's super violating. And, you know, to that point, like banks and all those guys, they don't have the time because so much of this is happening by huge volume to let you know if, say, somebody applied for a credit card in your name and they denied it because they found out it, you know, wasn't their identity, they're not going to let you know, hey, your information's out there. They don't have time for it. And, I mean, that's just, it's the cruel reality. And so, you know, just backing up your point, like we can't assume anyone else is going to protect us from this. We have there to was, ourselves. There, there was a recent case as well that I was reading about that someone's debit card information was compromised and the bank simply refused to reimburse based on the victim had chosen a very poor password. Oh, wow. Seriously? That was the response. Absolutely. It was. Wow. I, I haven't heard of that before, but I'll, that... I'll send you that article over. Yeah. I read that and I was like, oh my. Wow. That's, yeah, that's scary. I mean, that definitely, you know, a lot of people rely on their banks to tell them how secure their password should be. I mean, I guess I feel like in that case, the bank should have had some kind of protection in place saying we require, you know, eight alphanumeric, you know, <laughs> digits with, you know, <laughs> symbol and da da da. Like in password order one, two, three. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can't tell you guys how many times like I know companies and myself too included in various work I've done where we've pulled a list of all the passwords being used by consumers and sorted them. And password one two three is still one of the you know, most common. Also, a lot of them with the F word. I don't know why, but like that's I. I don't know why anyone would want to like type that in every day. But whatever. I mean, <laughs> and I have five mouth just like the rest of them. But like, geez, really? I, well, I mean, I, I, I would have fun typing it in every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I actually know your password to some things, and I'm like, are you a 13 year old boy? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I've got the same throwaway password for all these junk accounts. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm like, huh. well, I call it consensual account takeover, but Brett and I share a couple of accounts for the podcast. And exactly. um, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, but I mean, I've definitely seen my share of very creative passwords that I wish I could say on the pod, but we <laughs> always mark this podcast as clean. So I don't think I can. But my favorite one was referencing a whale's female body parts. I just thought that was like, so creative. And then I found out it's referenced in Anchorman. But uh, hey, at least a bad guy isn't going to guess that, you know, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's just, like, I, I want to know more about this person who picks that as a password, <laughs> but just out of pure curiosity, but like, hey, whatever, as long as it's secure. And I mean, all that talk about passwords really goes back to, you know, one of Brett's other favorite suggestions, which is to use password managers. Using password managers is just one good way to prevent identity theft and just all kinds of fraud. The most important thing to do to prevent identity theft is to put a freeze on your credit report with all three agencies. You can't just do it with one. You really can't, you know, every credit company that I've worked with or whether it's, you know, getting approved for, you know, a mortgage or rent or 
credit cards, they all use different bureaus. And so you can't just freeze it with one. You have to freeze it with all. Freezing your credit report makes it impossible to add a new line of credit to your account unless you go through additional authentication with the credit bureau, like a PIN that only you know. And I would suggest if you're choosing that PIN for one of the credit bureaus that you don't pick a pin that you use for anything else. You don't use your house number or your birth date or your kid's birth date or, you know, some kind of number like that, but that you, you know, it's something that you can remember, but something that isn't commonly used. Like also not like 0911 or, you know, 6969 or whatever it is. Like don't (laughs) use one that would be easy to spoof or for someone to know. And it really, you know, whenever you go through And when you're trying to open a new line of credit and your credit report is frozen, you will need to go through this extra step, but it usually stops criminals from creating accounts in your name. So the way I understand it is that, you know, say a criminal buys your social security number, they try to pull your credit or they try to get, either they try to pull the credit report first or they try to just, you know, apply for credit in your name. And I know different criminals do it in different steps. They will hit a roadblock and won't be able to proceed, you know, to at least open new accounts in your name. The biggest, most important thing, and the reason why we wanted to do this episode right now is that up until today, September 21st, people who wanted to freeze their credit reports usually had to pay an annual fee to receive this service, even directly from the credit bureaus. And, you know, of course it's US specific and I'm sorry for that guys, but you know, in Europe, but it's just, we think it's so important because it's the change is a result of a bill in Congress that was passed in May. And really it's a result of the Equifax breach with only 8% doing that. One of the reasons that they think that, you know, that number was so low is because people had to pay for it. Why do I have to pay for it? If you guys, you know, didn't handle my information correctly. And by the way, I didn't sign up to be, you know, to have a credit report with you. So that, you know, was frustrating. That's one barrier. Um, unfortunately, it does still take time out of your day and out of your life to do this with all three companies, but at least it's free. So that's, you know, really my my spiel on freezing credit reports. Brett, what do you have to add on that? I mean, it, you're absolutely right. It, it is a necessity to freeze credit reports. And, and here's some in- interesting statistics. So last year, and what, what a credit freeze stops is it stops all new account fraud. Okay. That's what a credit freeze does is it stops all new account fraud. A criminal cannot pull your credit report. A creditor cannot access your credit report because the freeze is on there. They have to have your permission to do that. So it stops all new account fraud. Now, last year, new account fraud was, anyone want to guess the percent? It was high. No, it was 4%. Oh, what? Oh, wow. All right. Oh, because, right. I know. account fraud. (laughs) But but we have, because of EMV, and for people who don't know what that is, it's the credit card chip. You know, nowadays you you insert the the credit card in the machine and it reads the chip. Because of the chip, the chip has really defeated a criminal's ability to counterfeit a physical credit card, go into a store, and use it. Okay? He can still do that, but it's it's much more difficult now. Now, these guys are not going to stop breaking the law. They're not going to go down to McDonald's or Wendy's and get a job flipping hamburgers. Fraud is their livelihood. It's their career. So when when they're shut down on physical credit cards, they then have to move someplace else. And that has been online or setting up new accounts, specifically new account fraud. So the last year, we've seen a huge increase in new account fraud numbers. Okay? So... A credit freeze stops that. Now, one of the things on a credit freeze is you don't only freeze your credit, you freeze the credit of every single person in the house, including children. (laughs) Right. And And we're going to dive into this so much more next week because (laughs) it it really is an entire episode because kids are the number one victims of identity theft right now. But Brett is absolutely right. Not only freeze your credit report. But your spouses, your kids, if you have them, I mean, shoot, if your dog had a social security number, I'd tell you to freeze theirs too. Here's here's (laughs) the number. One in four, one in four children will be a victim of identity theft. That's why you have to freeze a kid's credit profile. You have to do that. Well, and first you actually have to set up a credit profile in their name, right? Because nobody has a credit profile. I mean, your kids probably aren't even on their radar until you set one up or a criminal sets one up. Right. So you will know, here's the early warning indicator for you. So if you go to freeze your child's credit and the credit bureau says, we've already got this information in our system, that tells you right there that your child is already a victim of identity theft right then. 
Well, and I've started to see some news outlets starting to put information out. This like NBC News had one last week about a five-year-old that had, you know, horrible credit. And it, it happens way too often. I'm glad that they're starting to talk about it more on the mainstream media because I haven't heard about it as much. It is. And we will, as, as you said, we'll, we'll talk about child ID theft in, in the next couple of weeks because it is a huge, huge issue. And it's not just organized criminals that are, that are committing identity theft with children's information. It's, it's parents a lot of the time. So mm-hmm. it's, it's something that we have to really take an entire episode out to talk about. Right. But, uh, you know, <laughs> well, you, you said it. I mean, freezing credit is the number one thing you have to do. Right. And so there's also a big difference between freezing your credit and just putting a fraud alert on it. Fraud alerts used to be enough. And I remember this from back in the day when I used to have to pull credit reports. If there was a fraud alert, it, you'd still be able to see their credit report, but you'd have to call them like it would give right. a phone number. I know Brett has told me many times that criminals love doing that as well because then it makes them look even more legitimate, right? Absolutely. So they'll put a fraud alert on your credit report saying, hey, call me and I'll verify it's me. I, I'm just being proactive about my credit. So don't put a fraud alert. Put a freeze. Um, <laughs> and you're right. I know. Like, how many times am I going to say it could be a drinking game on this episode? <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, don't do that. But um, <laughs> we're going to put all the information about how to freeze your credit for each credit bureau on the show notes or the episode notes. So if you're listening to this on iTunes or CastBox, you can click on the episode details and we'll put the links. All of them have websites as well as um, two of them have phone numbers. And then TransUnion actually has a mobile app called Free Freeze. Um, Nice. (laughs) I don't know, like, if it's really, like, I don't know the benefit of having an entire app, like, dedicated to that. But, hey, good for them for being... Well, it's good marketing. Yeah, forward, right? Yes, <laughs> right. You know, but I mean, I think it's all about trying to make it more accessible and also keep the burden off of their call centers because they get inundated all the time. But yeah, so we'll put all that information out there for you. It is important to note, like, do only go to verified websites for these bureaus because they're unfortunately, um, it's like everywhere you turn, there's cybercrime, right? But unfortunately, like if you were just to Google free credit report, you'd get, you know, some scammy websites that would love to take in all your information and use them. And same with these three credit bureaus. They try to take them down as much as possible, but you just always have to watch out for those landmines. No, I agree. And, and in, on top of freezing your credit, I mentioned this earlier, you need to monitor every single account. And when I say every single account, I mean your bank, your email, your credit card, your merchant logins, every single account you need to monitor. And not only monitor, but where possible, you need to place alerts on those accounts. So that, say, uh, for example, Discover Card has a $0 alert, meaning that if a criminal buys your Discover Card information and he just pings that card to see if it's still active, you get a text message to your phone saying, hey, someone just tried to use your card, and then you can take care of it. It's that proactive response again. It's, it's that having the monitoring on there so that you get the information or the alert that someone is trying to access my credit, someone is trying to use my card, someone is trying to sign on to my bank account, something like that. So always monitor accounts. And we mentioned as well, passwords. Use a password manager. That's the mm-hmm. answer to that. Uh, simply because, and I talk about this all the time. So our audience out there, I'll ask, and since you're in the comfort of your own home, you could raise Or car, your- or subway, or bus. <laughs> yes. so you, could, you could raise your hand. I will ask how many people out there use the same password across multiple websites. Well, obviously, we know Brett Johnson is one of them for his dummy account. Right, and I will admit that. I Actually, me me also. Like, I, I do too, but, I mean, I have a funky system that, you know, is unique to me. That There are some accounts that have their own dedicated, you know, password, and then others, like, that don't matter to me as much, or I don't have a stored card on or whatever. You know, right. I alternate, so, like... I can remember, I can usually remember what the password is based on when I signed up for the account. I don't know. I mean, it's certainly, don't <laughs> do not do what I do. Just get a password manager. I, a password manager. There we, are a few of these not. things, admittedly, that I have been putting off. Like, even though I know it's the best, it's like, you know, a, doc, a cancer doctor that smokes, right? Like, <laughs> you know, do what I well, do. Well, something's got to take Do what out. I say now as I do. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, you know, just because it's time consuming and I've been super busy and that's not a good excuse. I am actually empathizing that I know that that's the same for you guys too, but 
Brett and I have our own like funky ways of, you know, deciding it and doing that. But we also know the risks and we're very aware of them and we're very like tactical with how we do things. Whereas, you know, know, one of those things that, you know, I asked the question and for all those people who raised their hands, don't feel alone because those who didn't raise their hands are lying to themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Case in point. Right. (laughs) Everybody does it. And we're not taught how to pick a secure password. We go to a website. The website says use so many characters, uppercase, lowercase, a few symbols. It's got a little graph there that says weak, 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 weak. And you start putting information in until finally it says strong. And you're like, ah, strong. (laughs) I, I don't know how I got strong, but it's strong. So we tend to use that same password across multiple sites. One of the big things, and Carice can talk to you about that at length, is this thing called credential stuffing, where where a criminal, he gets your password from, say, your Hulu login, so he'll fish a Hulu account, he'll get that, and then he'll start plugging the login information into bank accounts, all these other websites trying to get access. It's very, very popular, very effective, because people use the same password across multiple websites. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of the biggest companies are huge targets for that, right? Because, oh, I've got their Hulu password. I bet they have, you know, the same password at this company and this company and that company. And they have good systems and tools that they use to be able to identify credential stuffing. But, you know, sometimes they're going to slip through and you can't rely on that because the bigger companies have it because they have to. But first of all, there was a period of time where they didn't have it that made them realize (laughs) they needed it. And second of all, hit with it and decided. Right. That's the way it always happens. Right. (laughs) Like with everything, you know, you don't get flood insurance until you, you know, there's a threat of a flood. Right. I mean, that's <laughs> that unfortunately though the bigger companies have that but medium and small companies don't always have that and so don't rely on the companies to do it even though you know if you are you know listening and you are in fraud prevention for a company i hope that you are investing in some kind of behavior biometrics tool or another system that can identify credential stuffing and prevent it at the login not just at the payment page just super important i'll keep a lot of that out. But yeah, I mean, I could talk about it at length because it happened so much. (laughs) It's so hard for me not to name names here just because there's a few that I know that have just been like slaughtered. Yes. yes. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. But I definitely don't want to call them out, especially since they're pretty big brands and I like them (laughs) and I want to stay friends with them. I shop there too. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So it's like, yeah, you know, I don't want to be put on anyone's negative list either. Let's be honest. (laughs) So so once I did ask a merchant to put my husband on their their negative list because he was spending too much money on their website, (laughs) not going to deny it. (laughs) And they looked at me and they're like, "I've never had anyone ask me that before." (laughs) He has went insane. He's spending way too much money. (laughs) Actually, it was right before we had our wedding, and I was like, "We're planning a wedding, and I really need him to stop spending money on our outdoor stuff. Can you just put him on your negative list for a while? (laughs) Just just block him for six months. I promise he." He'll right. wake up for it when you let him go. <laughs> yeah, and and he did because he ended up becoming friends with that person and getting a freaking discount code. Oh no! Um, oh no! Yeah, uh, yeah. But anyway, all right. So you know, the last thing that I would say is uh, is is to warn people to to not respond, never respond to any unsolicited requests for personal information. So right. whether that's by email, phone, snail mail, someone coming up to your door. Whatever. So if you ever get any request for passwords, for updates of security, for social security number, anything else like that, credit simply card do number. not answer. Yeah. Credit card number. Never respond. Bank account information. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You can always call back into the legitimate phone number, not the one they give you, but the one on the website. <laughs> or, you know, if you're getting an email, go out to their website, email them and say, hey, did you send me an email about this? I would say... of the time, it wasn't them. And they're very used to that. And sometimes they'll have you send in a copy of the email. But these days, it happens so much. So many phishing, spoofing stuff that they, the bigger companies can't even keep up with it. You, so they just, they know the, what they did then. Uh, did you see the story the other day that it's estimated, and I think, I don't forgot who the company, it may have been Javelin or something like that, but they're estimating that for mobile phone calls by the year 2020, 80% of all mobile phone calls will be fraudulent. I have heard that. Yeah. In fact, I saw something about that in the news this morning where they were talking about how it has just exploded the last two years and I can say that I'm very I'm thankful that I have a Google phone and um, <laughs> it lights up in red every time there's a spam number because really? yeah it's oh 
Like they're like reported spam because they're able oh. to check it in Google to see like, you know, if people have reported it as spam. So I don't I am so jealous of you right now. <laughs> I really don't think that Google advertises that feature enough. Like I, I love my note, but a re- <laughs> that it lights up in red. Oh, the entire oh. back of my the back of my phone, the screen turns red and says, "I hate you so much spam. right now." <laughs> <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, I've had a fatal camera error on this phone for the last that, month. Never be able to take pictures. <laughs> that does make me feel better. <laughs> Apparently, it's the curse of the Pixel Two, and I really need to, you know, turn it. I have it on warranty. Anyway, sorry guys, I'm going sidetrack, but yeah, I mean that's a nice feature, but not everyone has it. And unfortunately, the reason why they do that is because it works, because people fall for it. And Brett knows this more than anyone. Unfortunately, it's the elderly that fall for it the most because they're Absolutely. such a trusting generation. Absolutely, and um, they didn't have to worry about all this stuff growing up. And you know. It's just definitely, you know, tell your parents, your grandparents, whoever, the same advice about that. And we'll, you know, talk about this even more when we dive into phishing. But it is just so important to really protect that information. Protect it like it's the most valuable thing in your home. Because once it's out, it's out. And yes, we already said it's out there. But you don't want to give it to anyone else. You don't want to, you know, make it easy for them. Because also, a lot of these things... If you fall for them, then it almost puts you on a sucker list with criminals. And there's so many things like that. Yeah. Exchanged and sold. Absolutely. Right. I mean, and that goes from everything from, you know, different posts that you like and share if they're fake news on social media. That goes for, you know, answering phone calls, you know, responding to phishing emails, all of those things. So, you know, it's not just for one time, it's for the future. So you don't want to get on a sucker list if for no other reason. The one other thing I know we want to talk about before we wrap this up is the credit monitoring companies. So, you know, there are consumer credit monitoring companies out there that advertise everything from monitoring your credit reports, monitoring your credit activity, monitoring your name on the dark web, all those things. And we just kind of wanted to take a moment to talk about them because, you know, we've provided very legitimate resources. And while we're not saying that any of those companies are illegitimate necessarily, we are saying that they might be unnecessary and expensive. And just in general, not a good use of your money. And honestly, I get worried about any company that's monitoring all my purchases. Like I haven't, I personally don't enroll in any of those budgeting apps that tie to your credit cards and your debit cards, even though that would be super handy because I really don't want that data out with anyone else than my bank and myself. So that's part of the reason why we are cautioning you against it is just because, you know, lack of access. You know, the less people that have access to that information, the better. But Brett, I'll let you, you know, you have some strong thoughts on this as well. You're going to put it on me, huh? You're going to hear a Brett rant here (laughs) in five, four, three, two. All right. All right. Let's, let's. Okay. So, so there are a few companies out there who say that they will monitor the dark web for your personal information. Here here you go. I'm going to say This you is a huge pet peeve of Brett's, let me tell you. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to save every single person out there $8 a month. Your information <laughs> is already out there. Okay? There. You don't have to pay them. Now, well, not only that, they don't <laughs> list people's names. If they listed people's right. names and their information, they wouldn't have a business model. Right. So understand the understand the way that cybercrime works. All right. What what these monitoring companies do is they sca- they scrape those websites. So if they find a website that has criminal information on it, they go ahead and they they download the entire website and they scrape information from it and they say, okay, is this person's name among this information or is there their personal information among this information? The problem with that that model is that the way criminals share information is, okay, first of all, the information's for sale, which means that it's behind a paywall, which means that these, these companies who are monitoring for dark web information, if it's behind a paywall, they can't get access to it. So they don't know if your information is for sale or not. The only information that they're able to get is the information that criminals have already posted for free on these criminal websites. And that information, it can be information that a criminal has already used that's no longer worth anything. It can be information that a seller, a credit card seller or a personal information seller puts out there in order to hawk his wares to say, hey, this is the type of information that I sell. Here's a few samples. It's very, very small as compared to the the amount of real information that's out there for people. So it, it gives a false sense of security 
when you see a company that says we monitor the dark web for your information and we alert you immediately well yeah they're monitoring it but they they're not able to monitor over 99 percent of it so they're monitoring that small percentage and if you're lucky enough if you want to think of it like that if you're lucky enough that your information is amongst that that they that they ping you and say that guess what you're already a victim at that point it's already over so so monitoring for people's information is useless i feel different when it's monitoring for companies i think that monitoring for companies information or the type of fraud that a company may be hit with is very effective but it has to be done properly but uh yeah i'm, I'm really down on monitoring <laughs> monitoring the dark web for personal information i think that's pretty useless now i'm monitoring companies overall and i'm asked this question at almost every conference that i speak at what monitoring company or how do i feel about monitoring companies the the truth of the matter is is that the entire identity theft protection business has a really bad name because there were so many bad players in that business as a matter of fact if if a person goes out today and tries to set up a business monitoring identities all right they can't get regular credit card processing they have to go through one of these high-risk processors that will handle those transactions because people get upset with the company. They realize that they're spending money that's useless, that, that the business is not really delivering on all the promises. So, But if the, the thing is, is we as a people, we have to monitor, and we as a people, we get, and it's, it happens to everybody, everything tends toward chaos. So you start out really strong with your monitoring, and as time goes on, you get lax. Now, a company, a proper company, a good company, never gets lax. They always update you and always pull the credit reports, check and monitor everything. So they do, they do that automatically. We as human beings have a trouble doing that. There are a few companies that, uh, for example, and I'm going to say it, uh, I like the, uh, the service Mint, M-I-N-T. It's a free service. It takes care of a lot of that for you. I recommend that to people. As far as identity theft protection companies, I'm not going to say any names, but I would say that if you're out there shopping for a protection company to make sure first of all what kind of data are they pulling and what i mean by that is is data is sold in time increments meaning that the data is either real time it's 24 hour data it's 48 hour one week two week one month on up meaning that the data is only uploaded or updated every 24 hours or every week or every month so if you've got a monitoring company that purchases 30 day old data what that means is is that if you get compromised, potentially, you're not notified of the compromise for 30 days. So the first and foremost, you need to make sure that the protection company has real-time data. The second thing you need to look at is, okay, who are they monitoring for? Who are they teamed with that's providing the data services? So there's a couple companies that only use four or five different data centers. Uh, there's, there's a few companies that use a thing called EWS and, and 30 or 40 different uh, data points. I like EWS because it, it, it's hooked in with the financial organizations and it shows immediately if a criminal comes in and tries to change a password on a bank account, if a criminal increase, uh, requests an increase of credit limit, anything else like that, you get an immediate, I mean within 10 to 20 seconds, you get an immediate text message saying, hey, this is what's going on. So always be aware of, of the company you're dealing with. Never sign on to anyone just you know out of the blue because of an advertisement or something like that. And one of my biggest issues with a lot of those credit monitoring companies is that I feel like they give a false sense of security. Absolutely. And unfortunately, as much as we do want to trade security for convenience and we just want someone else to deal with it, whether it's, you know, our bank reviewing our accounts or, you know, the credit bureaus keeping them safe or whoever, you know, especially with, in this case, a credit monitoring company, we want someone else to take care of it, but no one knows your data better than you. No one knows you better than you and your purchase patterns and everything else, where you went and, you know, if you were in Albuquerque at a Target in the middle of the night, you know, you know that or not. And so really there's no replacement for that. And I think that the problem is, you know, people think, oh, well, I pay 20 bucks a month for, and I'll never get, you know, victimized. And then if you have that false sense of security, you're not freezing your credit report. You're not checking your, you know, credit report every year. You're not looking at the activity of your credit cards. And for a long time, those credit monitoring companies were only the only thing they were really doing was putting a freeze on your credit report, which you can do yourself for a lot Absolutely. cheaper and now for free. But they were making people think that they were protecting them against credit card fraud too. And account 
takeover and all these other things. Like they're never, it's like, you know, fraud insurance or something. Gosh, if that really worked, Brad and I would be doing that in a heartbeat. <laughs> like we, we'd be setting up a company <laughs> hands down. And like and you said, right, I mean, right. I do really, I do suggest that companies have someone, you know, looking at the dark web for them. And, and Brett offers that to some of his clients as well. And there are other companies that do that too. And so, you know, I do recommend that absolutely for companies because they are talked about out in the open. You know, hey, this is how you can defraud this company and this is how you can defraud this company and this right. company has it easy to do this. That's all out in the open. But individual consumer names, which, you know, there are a lot more of, that's not as easily no. detected or or found, like Brett said. And so, and, and, and you're you know, it's an right. easy thing they can advertise, but not really do anything yeah. about. And Brett and I have actually exchanged text messages before when, <laughs> like, you know, companies start bringing that up. Either credit card companies or credit bureaus or whatever start advertising it. We're like, oh, geez, <laughs> face palm. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, you're right. I mean, when you, when you sign on to a... It happens with consumers, it happens with companies, with banks, everything else. When you sign on to a security company that advertises, we're handling security for you. At that point, it's natural. It's natural to, to, to kind of sit back and say, oh, they've got it. But the truth of the matter is, especially with identity theft protection companies, the truth of the matter is, is it, it really provides that false sense of security more than most. You know, that they even advertise it. We've got you. We, you can sleep well at night. Matter of fact, I'll put my social security number on a van and I'll run it downtown Denver. I'm that, I'm that comfortable with my company. Nothing, <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> nothing or I'll, I'll post my social security number. I'm like, yeah, somebody actually used it at a right. tech advance place. Right. For so, one of so, the one of the instances, this was several years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that that's a huge problem, and that it sends the wrong message. And that's one of the reasons that these that 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 entire industry has got such a bad name. There are some very very good companies, but you just have to be aware of which one you're signing on to. Absolutely, I think that's yeah a good place to leave it. <laughs> Yes. Before we'll obviously go into all these. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, was it that obvious that I was like, okay, I'm going to stop you here before you Let's really go up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think our passion shows, right, that we really, we, we both have a strong sense of justice, which might be a little more ironic for one of us than the other. But, um, <laughs> but we don't, you know, we just don't want anyone to get scammed. And, you know, honestly, what frustrates me most, and I say this in e-commerce fraud as well, in a different context, but what frustrates me more than the cyber criminals who are career cyber criminals that take advantage of consumers is actually people who are like a wolf in sheep's clothing that are taking advantage of consumers saying that they're trying to protect them. In the case of business, for me, I get more frustrated with friendly fraud over hostile fraud. And friendly fraud really is people taking advantage of the system and taking advantage of businesses, you know, using their own card, but claiming they didn't get the goods or claiming that something was wrong with it, or they just had buyer's remorse and didn't want to pay for it anymore and filed a chargeback. I get more frustrated with those guys. And that's actually why I've really pointed a lot of my consultancy and, and time and effort into that side, because I understand it and I understand how to prevent it. And I really don't like it. Whereas, you know, hostile fraud in a way, I'm like, well, they're criminals who this is their job. And I have a little bit of respect for them just for their ingenuity and everything else. But it's my job to stop them. So, you know, in that way, I just that's why I think you and I get so fired up about <laughs> companies that we feel are taking advantage of consumers and giving them a false sense of security. Yeah, you, you just, <laughs> I just don't think you need to do that. I think if you uh, if you have a product or a service that's good, there's no need to lie or, or you know, scare people or anything else or scare people. <laughs> people will come to you. Right. hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, more on all these topics and so many more topics, because unfortunately, you know, it's, <laughs> there's always something. And <laughs> especially these days, there's just a lot of fraud out there. But I think, yeah, I think we've given a lot of information today for sure. And right. my hope is that your next step after this podcast ends is calling the credit bureaus or going to their websites and freezing your credit along with everyone else in your house. Exactly. So that's it for our episode today. Thanks for joining us. We hope you learned a lot. Like I just said, we have so many more topics to cover to help you protect yourself and or your business from fraud. So subscribe to the online fraudcast to be alerted when a new episode is out. And because we're new, 
please tell your friends, rate and review us on those podcast apps to help others learn about these topics too. And hey, we want to hear about what you love so far about the podcast and what you don't love about it. Hey. I'm just saying. (laughs) Feedback. (laughs) Constructive feedback, please. Maybe maybe one of these identity theft people are, are, you know, these monitoring companies are listening to me and they're like, I don't like that. I don't like that. Well, that we don't need to hear, right? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Constructive feedback is helpful. (laughs) We do want it. We do. Please keep it constructive. We already know that I'm bad. So please keep it constructive. That way we can improve and, and talk about more of the topics that you want to hear us discuss. You can find the online broadcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can contact us individually on LinkedIn or email us at info at onlinefraudcast.com. And until next time, stay informed, stay vigilant, and stay secure. 